CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. It is Thursday night. That means it's on the beat live. Of course, we're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Take care of them. They are friends of Inside Carolina, and they're better friends of Inside Carolina premium subscribers because you get 10% off your order. You get all the swag you could possibly want, jerseys, hats, tees, uh, trinkets, stuff that's sitting around you can get um, from Johnny T-Shirt. Go see them on Franklin Street if you're in town for the game on Saturday or visit them online. They are special friends, 10% premium orders or premium subscribers, and just all-around good people, alumni-owned and operated. Tommy Ashley joined by Kirsten Clark, Isaiah Lucas, Gregory Hall, and of course, Greg Barnes. And let's get straight into it. Uh, I think, Greg, the tweet went out based on your story <clears throat> that confirmed what we basically already knew that Garcia, Dawson Garcia, is not with the team the rest of the year. What do you know? What's the latest? And is or are we surprised? No, I don't think we're surprised. Uh, I certainly am not. And uh, first of all, you know, Dawson's family has, has been through a lot. Um, it's, uh, you know, his dad, uh, battling through things and I guess in December and now his grandmother's dealing with some things. So uh, that's, that's a lot for a, for a young man. And, and I think we tend to forget that, that these are, that these are our kids. And so, you know, for a guy that's, that's 19 years old, that's, that's a lot to put on him. And so, um, I think everybody can understand uh, why he went home. And I think the challenge here is, is that some people are going to look at this and say, Hey, you know, he's, he's quitting on the team. It's an easy way out. I, I don't think that's fair. I think the way you have to look at it is this kid had a lot of uh, medical concerns at home with his family. And so that pulled him back home. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. And then from there, it's a matter of, okay, was there enough to draw him back to Chapel Hill? And I know there's a lot of expectation for, for him to come in this year, be a starter for a team that you know, had the potential to make a run uh, into NCAA tournament and then leave after a solid year and, and go play pro ball. And it never really materialized into that for, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so I think it was just when he got home, uh, you know, understanding Kyle, things that progressed and understanding the importance of family, it just made, made sense just to remain home, which opens up the, the next question, which is, okay, what does that mean for next year? And we, we can jump into that if you want to. Uh, but it's just one of those things that I think North Carolina, both the program and the fan base needed closure. Uh, Dawson probably did as well. And we got that today, which I think is a good thing that allows instead of, Every press conference, media haven't asked Hubert, okay, what's the update on Dawson? We know what the story is. We can move past it. Uh, it's like Anthony Harris. Everybody knows Anthony Harris is not coming back this year and it allows you just to focus on what you have instead of what you don't, and that makes it, for, makes it easier for everybody. Indeed. Look, one thing I don't do, and one thing, and I'll say this, and it's going to date me, but I had an opinion about college athletes when I was – um, younger and when I was not around the program and not able to cover games um, when I started working for Inside Carolina back in 1997-98 with dear friend J.B. Sissel your opinion changes and you realize that they're just regular people with some talent and they have the same issues and the same problems Gregory um, you've been doing this as have Isaiah and Kirsten here for a little while 
I mean, they're just normal guys. They have family issues or whatever. The difference is they're on social media. They, everything, every action is in social media or judged in social media. But the bottom line is you got to look after family. Dawson Garcia appears to be doing that um, by going home and staying home and dealing with the situations they're dealing with. Right. Um, it's kind of, you mentioned that it's like, I, I, being a student, like I had classes with some of the basketball players and the football players. And I remember, um, I don't remember who it was, but it was a offensive lineman my senior year. And I had a class with him and he just walks in one day and he's got his foot in a boot and he's on crutches. Um, and it was just like, like, man, what happened? And just like talking to him, he's going through all this stuff. And it's just like, it's just like the same thing. If I was like, we're asking questions in class and going through like, man, I got to study for this quiz. But like, then I go home and I'm going to hang out with my buddies and then going out or whatnot. And he's going to practice. He's going to the weight room and like film review and just like all this stuff. Right. And he's trying to do all these things while injured and trying to get back into it. So it is completely different. Um, but what Greg said with focusing on with the haves versus the have nots now, and maybe the team already kind of, sort of knew it without knowing it. And I'm sure Hubert, um, I mean, kind of every time we asked him kind of answered it that way. It was like, look, as of right now, there's no update on Dawson, but we're still focusing on what we have here and we wish him well and everything. So that really is not a change from that standpoint. It's just, we can stop asking about it. Um, and it doesn't help. Right. Brady, for example, like Brady's still going to have to be the guy, um, that stretch for kind of by himself, um and whatnot but i guess now they can just fully embrace it that's going to be the situation rather than the alternate alternative of him coming back in the year or i guess the 2021-2022 season isaiah when you look at the roster now i mean it's been this way garcia and harris have been out what six games seven games it all blurs together for me but one thing we've seen is there's a little bit of rhyme or reason to what Hubert Davis is doing um, now. And it seems like guys have really settled into roles, especially a guy like Leaky Black. He knows exactly what he's being called upon to do. Isaiah, I don't say that having guys out is a, ever really a good thing, but sometimes it might be. And it seems like for this team, at least, there's been some settling. Um, and now there's definitely closure on that end. Your thoughts there with the roster – rotations and all as we you know start to dig in mid-feb mid-february um well i mean this is around that time where you kind of want to solidify we want everybody solidified in their roles you kind of want everybody comfortable so they can play at their highest and i mean leaky has definitely found his role brady's found his role it's going to be harder for him on the defensive end but he's definitely shown he's comfortable in being that stretch four that can come in get buckets when you be rebound Armando's found his role. I think now it's just depending on who he uses off the bench for them to find their role and get comfortable as this last stretch of the season happens. Kirsten, one thing, and we can talk about this more, is that with the roles defined, with the bench shorter, I guess, um, is a way of putting it, even though it's been pretty short, the bench has been short all season, just different guys. But somebody like Armando Baycott really, really needs to understand that he's got to be on the court we didn't see that against um, Clemson he got a little little carried away we talked about it in the post game and it's been documented but your take on how a guy like Baycott and even Leakey can help facilitate to these guys that hey you gotta be smart on the court you got to do this you got to do that but real really become more leaders now that the guys they see every day and have seen for the last few weeks are it for this team yeah, I think uh, kind of like Isaiah was saying, Leaky has really stepped into his role and and found his way. And I think he's shown that he's been a leader just in stepping up and showing that example. I think um, Armando, yeah, he's been a little inconsistent these past few games. But, um, I mean, if they want to win moving forward, he's going to have to step up and, and be that leader that he needs to be just, you know, with his being there for so long. And I'm sure we've seen Hubert, he's, especially after last game, Dontrez Styles played a little bit early. We've seen Puff playing a lot more. Um, so these guys are going to need guidance because they're new. So um, they're really going to step into those leadership roles. Greg, you guys saw it in person in Clemson, and we saw it on TV, and I hadn't really noticed, but and I, I did say it in post game. 
Hubert was on fire against Clemson. I mean, have we seen him that, I don't want to say agitated, but I guess maybe you can. Um, the way his team was playing, maybe the way his team was acting. Is that fair to say that that game was probably is is that way as if we as we've seen Hubert all season? I mean, it, it almost felt to me, and this could be totally wrong, but I said it to Sherelle the other night. He looked like he knew how important it was at that point, that where the season was, where the ledge was there, and he was fired up trying to get his guys focused. Yeah, and I think it's kind of an interesting turnaround from the week before in Louisville because at Louisville, everything around the team was kind of going haywire, right, with, with all the official calls and the way that the crowd was just uh, fired up and agitated and angry and all those things. And so in Louisville, Hubert really made the point of saying, all right, guys, just focus you know, on the court. That's all we can deal with. The next play, don't worry about the officiating. Don't worry about uh, the crowd. Don't worry about people throwing junk on the court. Um, and that was a different message. And then at Clemson, I think it's more of, yeah, it's a, it's a rowdy uh, crowd and a atmosphere and all those things. But the team just – I don't know. There's a little bit out of sorts. We've seen that a lot on the road. And yeah, I agree with you. Like that, that was a game they could not afford to lose. Um, it wasn't a must win, but they couldn't afford to lose it. If that makes sense. And you just don't want to say it. <laughs> I don't want to say it. I don't. Um, but it was, it was really important for, for the guys to kind of lock in. And um, yeah, with some of the stuff, I mean, you know, Baycott with the, with the hand of the, the stiff arm, right. I mean, that that's going to get called every single time. Uh, RJ Davis is good to see him have some passion, uh, but you got to be careful with what you say. It's going to be technical. Um, some of those things. And I, I think Hubert was really trying to make sure that they were focused on him and focused on the task at hand because there's a lot of sloppy play in that game. And uh, I mean, it worked, give him credit because when they needed to make plays down the stretch, they were able to do it and, and it paid off. So I think what we're really seeing from Hubert is he's showing an an ability to coach in different ways. And I think that's critical. And that shows a lot of growth on his part. You mentioned, Oh, sorry. Um, No, you go ahead. Talking about the Clemson game. um, And I think there's different parts to it. Um, One it's trying. I mean, obviously Caleb had times and he's been caught up in this for a few couple weeks now, where his, he doesn't get going early, so then he forces things. But then I think we finally saw him settle down at the end, which is something we haven't necessarily seen yet. Um, and I think that kind of speaks to Hubert's ability to try to corral the team during the chaos. And like he talked afterwards, right, trying to lighten the mood, um, saying things, and that he could see the tension in the huddle going into those final minutes that was comparable to the Louisville game. And he was like, guys, look, the Louisville game, we ended up winning that game. Like we don't, I don't want you to be stressed right now. Like just go like, it's, it's okay. Like we can, we, I know we've done it before. Right. Which is not something that one, he's been able to do because they blew the late game situation against uh, Notre Dame. Right. Caleb went up with that crazy shot at the elbow and he talked about it afterwards. He's like, I haven't been in many of these situations. Um, well, just a week ago against Louisville, they had that situation, which obviously did not go well with the turnover, but before then had made the play to win the game. Um, and then obviously winning it in regulation. So it's just kind of like a combination. Greg wrote his story about growth in the grind, right? Um, the combination of struggling and I'm still using Caleb here as the example, but even having Armando out and, going off of Hubert's leadership and whatnot, um, struggling, trying to force things and not working, but then still making the plays on the stretch. And it's Hubert we've seen, I mean, at the beginning of the season, right. We talked about, we don't know how Hubert is going to react to certain situations and what he's going to do for this team. And Roy always talked about, he'd rather major in psychology rather than, um, what he did major in what recreation or something like that, because, <sighs> working with the players and it's like after the uh what game was it after the weight game that hubert was like they probably thought i was going to be pissed off and i just walked in and was positive right like he's trying to relate to these kids at a different level because he knows the pressure they put on themselves 
And so far it's worked in certain situations and has allowed them to bounce back. Um, now it's all about doing that going into the big games, I think is the next step um, when we're talking about Hubert's leadership and this team that needs to be carried forward um, as far as a preventing the slow starts because the Clemson, it was a slow start, right? They were down 19-8. They had no business being down 19-8. Um, the fact that they played better with Armando out than with him in there at the beginning, it just kind of speaks to how this team can't really start games very well. Um, so those are kind of my takeaways from the Clemson game. And it was good that they were able to pull it out. Right. I mean, it's another time where if they get into a tough situation at the end, they can, he can now point to two times where they did what they needed to do. Um, so I think that's important. Yeah. And I think Caleb love Kirsten is, I called him maddening on the post game podcast. I mean, he can do so many things that are positive, but he manages to flip that with so many of those moments that folks like to to yell at. But, I mean, his play late. His play late against Louisville. His play late against Clemson. And then the, the called play to set up the drive and dish to Manic. This is a guy that you see him right on the edge of figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And it's at times it's, he looks really close to doing that. And at times he looks so far away from it. Your take on how he – manages to step up at end of games after playing about as poorly as a Carolina point guard can. I mean, he's got something in there. He's just got to figure it out. Right. And I don't want to say this, but I think that's easy to say against Clemson, against Louisville, nothing against those teams. You know, these are great teams, but I think Duke was a prime example of how that can backfire against the squad that, you can't afford to make those mistakes early on in the game. So, um, yeah, there are times where we see that he can play well under pressure and make um, make big plays, but he's got to get to a point where he can do that consistently because against stiffer competition, it's we've seen that it's not going to work. Isaiah, your take on why that is. I mean, I'll tell you one of the famous quotes that I got um, when I was in the locker rooms for Inside Carolina and I'm not going to say who he was talking about, but I asked Joe Forte, what did you think about such and such's performance in that game? And Forte looked dead at me and said, man, it was Clemson. That's Kirsten's point, Isaiah. What do you think Love's got to do to be able to do it? Um, not that there's any big games. There's plenty of big games where there's not really tough opponents until Duke at the end of the season. But what does Love had to do to channel the last couple minutes of the last two games on the road into – positive for 40 minutes instead of just two I think he's got to let the game just come to him I think a lot of the issues that he has is that he comes in he forces it if the offense is stagnant I think he plays with the mentality to where he feels like it's his responsibility to be the one to make things happen if nothing else is going on I think that's something when you're the guy in high school you're coming up you're the guy you're the ball handler you play that play style because he likes iso ball He's really he's good at it at times and at times it's just poor decision making. But that's kind of his go to when things fall down. So I think he's just got to make the smarter play, make the easier play instead of just always trying to force it or just do too much on offense. Question here in the chat just about why doesn't Caleb drive more? And I assume it's speaking to that last play. Um, with him just taking his man and getting into the lane rather easily. And the reason he didn't go up is because he felt the guy on his shoulder and it most likely would have been blocked. Um, he one, I mean, I'm going to answer this before putting it up here because it's pretty obvious that his two point shooting has struggled and he has struggled at the rim. So that's number one, probably deterring it from happening more. And number two, um, because teams aren't really afraid of him when he drives. So he might've gotten in easier there, but that was because one, the, they, the man on Brady fell asleep Two, the guy didn't help off of leaky for some reason. Um, I guess he was afraid of leaky hitting the shot, which he had. He, I mean, he's one of their best three point shooters right now. Um, so I guess they were probably taking their chances with Caleb at the driving. So he, like he got in easier, but I think it was 
almost by design, if you look at the defense that Clemson had set up, I mean, they didn't have PJ Hall in there because they weren't really expecting that type of play. At least that's what I'm assuming and looking at. So I think it really stems from that is teams aren't afraid of him when he drives, which is where a lot of the turnovers come from. And he hasn't had success. So I think that's kind of why he doesn't do it more or every time down the court. And let's be honest, we all know he loves that step back three. So if that's still an option, he's going to take it over driving. That's kind of my take. Uh, Greg, do you have an opinion on why you don't think he drives more? Yeah, I think I think you hit on some key points there. Um, and I think both of those, the reason that teams aren't scared of him and the reason why his two-point goal percentage is not very good is because he's not the best driver of the ball. Um, you know, if you think about some of North Carolina's struggles early in the year, guys were getting into the rim with nobody around them and having easy layups time and time and time again, right? We talked about it with Tennessee and Purdue, uh, Kentucky. Uh, you don't see that a lot with, with Caleb, even though Carolina's playing this, you know, one in, four out offense. Why? Well, it's kind of like R.J. Davis, right? R.J. Davis has a pretty good first step, but because R.J. is not a big guy, teams were able to kind of counter it, and that's why you saw, I think, what, Hall had three blocks on, on Davis pretty easily on Tuesday. As athletic as Caleb is, you would assume his handle would be better and he would have a, a better first step to be able to make a lot more of those plays like we saw in the final 10 seconds at Clemson. Um, you know, Roy Williams used to talk a lot about his point guards and how if you ever got the ball stolen from behind in transition, uh, you were going to have a rough day the next day at practice because that should never happen to a good point guard. And yet, what have we seen a lot the last two years with Caleb? I mean, what do we see at Louisville? He's dribbling around in the backcourt, and somebody comes up and steals it and goes down and ties the game. What do I always say? If there's not five in front of you, there's somebody behind you. And you got to be – All the time. Yeah. And you have to know it. And that's an innate point guard thing. Right. And that he is not. Go ahead, Greg. Sorry Correct. to interrupt. I mean, that's exactly right. And so uh, – he just has not been that player that we expected he possibly could be with this new offense. And, you know, that was a conversation in the offseason. Caleb Love is going to thrive. Why? He's got more space to operate. There's not two guys clogging the lanes. Have we had that conversation much this year? No. I mean, his, I was looking the other day. His two-point field goal percentage is up, I think, like 1.5 percentage points from last year. It's like from 34.8, and it's like 36 point something now. That's crazy. Yeah. I think like a major part of it, too, is like when he drives, he takes off from too far. So he's forced to either go up with whatever like situation he's in or force a pass and creates a turnover. So I think that definitely hurts him and his decision making. He just starts from way too far back with his and gather. Al- and also when he's when he goes up from that far out, I also don't think he knows exactly what he's going to do when he does that, which is why you get, sometimes he turns around and throws it right to the defense. And then other times he's throwing up the floaters. Like it's, it's when he's doesn't have the ISO of I'm going to shoot this ball or I'm going to drive bad. That's when the bad things happen. It's the secondary decision-making in my opinion. Yeah, and, and like the floaters. The floaters aren't Ed Coda, Joe Forte floaters. Where, Justin Jackson uh, floaters. Right, the, where, where you're going at the rim, you're in a straight line. Too many times Caleb takes those little floaters and he's offline. Mm-hmm. He's kind of out of position. Um, and that's, that's why he misses a lot of them because he's just kind of at a weird angle when he does it. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's one of, I mean, the reason I asked him after the game is like, I mean, why didn't he take that to the rim? Because when he drove, I was like, all right, this is, this is going to be it one way or the other. And he makes a fantastic play, a very easy play, and, and Brady has a very simple layup. Um, and to Caleb's credit, he said, yeah, I knew that guy was on me. I was worried that he was going to block my shot. And so I saw Brady cutting, and I passed off. So props to him. In a big moment, he made the right play. We just haven't seen that enough from him you know, over the past two years. Yeah, I mean, the one time I felt like he drove with a purpose, knowing what he was going to do, he pinned himself on the rim. At Louis, is that at Louisville the other Louisville, night? Yeah. That was and, Louisville. Yeah, and if, if it were those rims back in the day, he'd have been on his back 
when everybody's but standing over him. You're right, though, Tommy. He was authoritative on that play. Yeah. Like, I am going to dunk this, and nobody's going to stop me. And so when he went up, I was like, all right, this is, this is what this kid needs. And because he missed it the way he did, you could, like, sense just the confidence just fall off of him. And, yeah. and conversely, RJ, Gregory, you said it the other day, uh, maybe at Inside Carolina Live, um, driving not necessarily not necessarily to score, but driving to dish or, or driving to get an assist. I don't know if you said it or not. Somebody said it. Um, Art, well, props to you because it was a good point. RJ does it a lot, but he also puts himself in positions, Kirsten, that, I mean, he's going to get eat up. Like at Louisville, there's no chance he's making that layup against Louisville the last play game. None. And that, that creates a situation. Um, you would figure a guy like Caleb with the size that he has could get through that, and he hasn't. RJ's is another animal. Kirsten, Kirsten talk about RJ's ability to get it in there but not necessarily finish. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think RJ, to me, has more of a point guard mentality in general than, than Caleb does, and he's, he's, shift, he's more shifty. He's quicker, he's quicker, so he can get to the rim a lot easier. But in the day, RJ is a small guy. So against bigger teams – We've seen that's not going to fly in the paint. He's not going to be able to score as easily. Um, but I think, you know, RJ deserves a lot of credit. He takes care of the ball. Um, you know, he makes good passes a lot of the time. I think against Clemson, he had zero turnovers, if I recall. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think he deserves a lot of credit. But like I said, he's a smaller guy. So in the paint, um, it's not always going to work against bigger teams. Are we surprised that – I know – Hubert likes to play two-point guards. Roy liked to have two-point guards out there. But, Greg, are we surprised, or do the numbers speak otherwise, that RJ hasn't taken over the primary point guard role and Caleb's been more off the ball? It seems to me, from my naked eye watching, that it's it's about 50-50 still. And Kirsten's point, RJ has really developed the more point guard-esque type game for Carolina in my mind. Yeah, it is 50-50, but I, I really felt like at Clemson, RJ was the guy at that point, and it seemed like Caleb was, was much more off the ball. Uh, I could be wrong in that, but that's kind of how I felt watching. Uh, at Kirsten's point, it's dead on. I mean, I don't think there's any any question that, that RJ is the more uh, – he has more of the point guard skill set than, than Caleb. Um, you know, I think that the challenge for Caleb – uh, and this is kind of his, his growth. He is a phenomenal athlete. Um, he is a phenomenal athlete who plays basketball. He's not a basketball player who's a great athlete, if that makes sense. There's, there's, a, there's a difference there. Um, and so I, I think when we're talking about decision-making, we're talking about you know, not having that innate sense of when somebody's coming up behind him to, to, to steal it or, or taking maybe not the best shot, all those speak to, you know, Here's a guy who's learning to play the point guard position. It doesn't come naturally for him. Whereas I think with RJ, uh, you can kind of see he's comfortable with the ball in his hands all the time. Um, and that's uh, – I, I think it's pretty clear that RJ is going to be the, the point guard. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly they're both seeing a lot of time bringing the ball up the court. But I do think at Clemson it, 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 it skewed a little bit more towards RJ. Let me ask. Not, let, let me let, let me ahead. stay on this point just for a second. At clock's winding down against Clemson. I'll freely admit I was surprised that Caleb had the ball in his hands after the game that he had had. Um, and I know he'd made a big shot before that, but I was. That speaks to Hubert is the ultimate positivity guy because after that game that he had had. I could not believe he had the ball in his hands, and that speaks to Hubert. Go ahead, Gregory. Yeah, I was just going to bring up um, – we talked about roles earlier, um, and there's a question here just kind of about the – who comes off the bench when? Um, question was, why did why is Puff – did we know why Puff only came in at the end? McCoy first off the bench. Styles comes in even before Puff. Dunn only comes in for the last play, right? And – what we've seen from Hubert as far as this short end bench is who comes off when is sporadic. Um, at least from my eye, 
So I don't really know. I don't really think there's a much of roles in those, in that standpoint. Um, Cause when, when Puff was finally healthy and he was the first one coming off the bench and that was, uh, I don't Duke. remember his first game. Yeah. Um, Wasn't he first off against Duke? Yeah, but he was first off before then, too. Um, I don't remember which game it was, but it's just like it made sense because when Puff comes in, it's kind of like what we talked about last year when Anthony Harris would come in as far as that uh, effort boost. Um, But then Puff stopped coming off first. It didn't necessarily make as much sense anymore. Um, So I don't don't really – the answer to the question being I don't really think there is a – direction for who comes off when as far as rolls off the bench or if that might be solidified or ever change i think it's hubert just putting in the guy that he thinks needs to be in at that time um he put styles in at the end of the first half they needed a little bit more size so he put in styles rather than mccoy and then mccoy came in i don't so i i don't really think there's a trajectory or direction when it comes to that standpoint um i don't know if greg you think differently no, I think you're right. Well, it, I said earlier that having Garcia and Harris out and this known has made it for a better role player. But Isaiah, I think I might have been wrong in that. I mean, to Gregory's point, Puff played good minutes against Duke and was on a milk carton. Gregory, what's that mean? I, I don't, you explained it to me and I still don't even understand. He's missing. <laughs> He's missing. That's, that's milk cartons back in the day used to have missing people 70s and 80s yeah. instead of sitting and, and reading uh, your cereal boxes with games on the back which is what we did then yeah. you turn to get the milk and there'd be like a missing child on the back yeah so. it was some it was kind of random remember, i don't know how that ever helped anything but. i remember my games on the cocoa puffs cereal box don't you forget it all right, all right. you got you got your priorities straight but isaiah puff plenty of action puff missing in action what gives I mean, to Gregory's point is Hubert's just out there. Whoever he feels in the moment to come in, I think he just calls on them. I think earlier in this season when he had the lineup, I think that Brady or Dawson was definitely like that six-man guy. But with Dawson out, Brady having to start now and then Ant out too, I think it's really just depending on how Hubert feels at the moment. If it were me, I'd sit right next to him. If I was on the bench, (laughs) I'd be the guy right next to him. Uh, let me ask another one of these questions. Let's turn to uh, – well, I'll ask this, and I'll get Kirsten in on it first. We'll go around the table before we get to the next ball game because it's relevant. What does Carolina need to do to secure a tournament spot? Here we are February 10th. They're, what, 17-7. and seven. Uh, They're one game out of first place in the ACC. What needs to happen here, Kirsten, starting with Florida State on Saturday? for Carolina to get in that NCAA tournament? Yeah, well, I think um, me, well, right before this, me, Greg, and Isaiah were just talking about, uh, you know, net and all that. But clearly you got to beat teams like Florida State. Um, The ACC is just not that strong right now. Um, And Duke is our next biggest opponent. And hopefully we can win that one too. I don't know. But got to win these next couple games, at least before Duke, um, to secure a spot. Otherwise – things aren't looking good for us Gregory do they need them all before Duke to get in the tournament it's 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 hard and I've been religious religiously reading everything Joe Lenardi puts out he puts out his like updated thing like every day on Twitter um just trying to kind of gauge what the teams around UNC are doing because I think when you're on the bubble it comes down to you have to be the best of the mediocre teams Um, and so obviously losing hurts that, but if they go six and one, then they, all they have to do is win their first ACC game. And I think they're in, and I think that just kind of speaks to the issue of the ACC, but it's like, I mean, the way Lenardi phrased it, he's like, UNC is not going to be a top four team in the ACC and not make the tournament. And I know Greg, we point to the history of, teams that don't have quad one wins and how that's basically doesn't happen and things like that. But I really think it's like, I think it's that simple. Like if UNC, I mean, do we think the ACC is going to be less than a four team bid league? Like, do you even think that's possible in the realm of 
think it's possible. I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. But I mean, I, well, I think. Okay, well, I yes, think four bids possible. is probably. Four bids is probably what's going to end up being. So if they go, so let's see, they go five and two down the stretch. That probably puts them at third or fourth in the regular season in the ACC, unless someone goes, someone makes a run, right? Um, all they have Virginia to do is coming along. Sure. Um, they go five and two, and I'm going to just give them a loss at Virginia Tech, and then they win their home games. So they lose their two road games, Duke and Virginia Tech. They go five and two. They're at 14 six in the ACC, sitting at fourth place. They win Wednesday night in the ACC tournament. They're in. That's what I think happens. Um, well, not happens, but I think that's what they need to do to secure a spot. Um, if they lose their first game in the ACC tournament, I don't. I think the only way that saves the only savior to that is if they beat Duke and win all seven games. Um, but I don't really think that's possible. Is there? It's crazy how it works. But if Carolina goes five and two, Greg, I'm looking at the thread on the message boards that uh, somebody posted. Let me give props to TCP twenty three UNC posted the three and Greg, you've been active on it. If Carolina loses at Virginia Tech and at Duke, they will not have a quad one win at all. And the closest to that would be the Clemson game, right? On the Correct. season, on the entire season, but they would be 22 and nine in the regular season. And then you got your ACC tournament. I mean, could they not make the NCAA tournament in that situation? If they lost on whatever Wednesday of the ACC, I don't even know when the days are these days. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, so a couple things here, Tommy. We're getting old. I used to say this is not our our dad's ACC, right? But um, it's not our ACC, now. right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just five years ago, the ACC was, was arguably the best conference in the in the country, and right now, I don't think it's top five. And Jay Billis said a lot of that's because of, of talent. And I agree with him, although beyond just player talent, because really the only NBA draft picks in the league are in Durham, is coaching talent. Uh, there's just not many well-known guys in the league. Roy, you retired. Coach K's on his way out. Uh, Leonard Hamilton, he's on his way out soon. I mean, he's, he's early he 70s as well. But he looks just like he did 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah, right, when he was playing ball in uh, Gastonia back in the 1970s. Um, but he's, his team has had a ton of injuries this year anyway. I think they have some good pieces. It's just hurt. Uh, Jimmy Beheim, I mean, he's 70, what, five now? So you're losing all these Hall of Fame-type guys, and you're replacing them. And no offense to Hubert, but Hubert's never coached before. John Shire never coached before. Steve Forbes comes in. I think Forbes is a good coach, but I mean, he was at East Tennessee State. Uh, Tony Bennett's about it you know, in, in the next couple of years. So the SEC and the Big Ten are bringing in all these big name coaches and all these young and up and coming coaches. And the ACC is just kind of middling around. I mean, Mike Bray's about to be the longest tenured guy in the ACC, which is crazy. So that, that's part of the issue, and that's, that's kind of talking about where the ACC is going. Like some things have to work out just right for the ACC to kind of bounce back. But because of that, I mean, this year, when we're talking about the ACC and how many teams they can get in, I mean, metric-wise, they're much closer to the American. They're much closer to the Mountain West wow. than they are to the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the SEC. Mountain West, good confidence. I mean, the, uh, what is it that Gonzaga's in? The West Coast Conference? Is that what that is? Yes, the rival to the ACC. Right. Well, that conference has two teams in the top 25 of Ken Palm. You know how many teams the ACC has in the top 25 of Ken Palm? One. That's where we're at. Gonzaga and, and St. Mary's are the – That's crazy. Right. <laughs> you told me it's not – I mean, didn't Florida State go 6-10 and 10 in the conference one year, made the tournament? Yeah. And now we're talking about potentially going 15-5 and five and not making the tournament. Somebody made a big deal kind of – everybody likes to equate Roy's first year to this year, and I, I get it, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. That year, uh, North Carolina was a top 25 team, but there were six teams in the ACC ranked. 
I mean, Duke's the only team in the ACC right now even sniffing the rankings. Um, and they, I doubt they'll be top 10 next week. And so it's just a different animal. The ACC is not what it was, but people have this mindset of, well, yeah, we're always going to get six teams in. No, not this year. So all that to be said, kind of to, to Gregory's point, uh, when you look at when you look at Lenardi's stuff, and he made a good point the other day, it's like, you know, Carolina is not battling with Alabama for a spot, right? They're not battling necessarily with Duke for a spot, even though the records are similar in the ACC. Carolina is battling with Loyola Chicago, Oregon, Oklahoma, San Francisco, Creighton, BYU. Mississippi State. Mississippi State. These are the teams on the bubble in North Carolina. So Carolina doesn't have to be, like, great down the stretch. Right. It's going to be better than some of those teams. And Florida and San Diego State and UAB and Washington State. And you're hearing those teams, and you're thinking, wait a minute, Carolina's not with those guys. Yeah, they are. That's where we're at. Uh, so Carolina's in position, and I, I think right now they're, they're pretty solidly on the right side of the bubble. And as long as they don't choke away some of these games, they should be okay. Now, do they need to go into Blacksburg and play well and probably win? Would that make things a lot easier? Incredibly so. Um, we've already talked about the Duke game. You know, all bets are off in that game because if Carolina wins that game, Hubert Davis will already have him a statue built outside of the Smith Center. Maybe Every single bit out, maybe built outside of Cameron. Yeah. By some Carolina people. Right. I mean, this team forever will be immortalized as like one of the great Carolina teams of all time for that reason. And they should be. That's a different talking point. Um, the other only thing I wanted to say here, I know I'm rambling a little bit. Uh, bracketmatrix.com is a very good website. What they do is kind of a, a metadata kind of thing. They track 120 brackets. And Joe Lenardi's is in there, but Fox and CBS and Jerry Palm, everybody. And they track them. There's 120 brackets. Right now, Carolina is in 89 of the 120 brackets. Uh, and they're listed right now as the number three 11 seed. So it's not just Lenardi. I know people get on Lenardi and say he's always wrong. You know, everybody's going to be hit or miss on this kind of stuff. But when you're talking about 120 brackets of people actually trying to make educated guesses and Carolina's right there at the 11 seed, that kind of tells you where we're at in terms of the rankings. But I think Carolina's pretty firm right there. And if you can win some of these games against like a Virginia Tech or still win against Duke or win a couple games in the ACC tournament, you're only going to move up a little bit. So um, I think they're in okay shape right now, uh, but they just can't afford to, to lose any of these games. I mean, uh, some of these teams just are not very good. You can't, you can't slip up against Pittsburgh or they'll just go ahead and send you an invitation to the NIT. There are five Mountain West teams in the top 45 at Ken Palm. And there's only two ACC teams, <laughs> with the second being Carolina at 42nd. Didn't I see somebody talking, and, and I know um, we sound like the old guys reminiscing by the water cooler, but you didn't somebody say, like that. come on, man, you made your last appearance. Kirsten, you got a permanent seat, and <laughs> Isaiah, a permanent seat at Inside How Carolina are you going to go? You can't even figure out how to go live without me. How are you gonna uh, it doesn't need out? to be live. I can do it. I, I, don't, I can watch it later. Um <laughs> Didn't I see Iowa's like ranked really high, Greg, or something? Or what are y'all looking at the rankings? They're Iowa, like they're, good? they're right around 20. It's it's the it's the good conference bump. And we've talked about it for years for the ACC that once you get into the ACC play, if the league is good, even if you're not very good, you move up the rankings because the teams that you play are very good. And that's what's happening with Iowa. They're not bad, but they're in a really good conference. And so even when they're uh, even when they're not playing great and they're losing, they're losing to teams that are like top 15 in the net. And again, it's the whole thing of uh, you know, rising tides, lift all boats. And right now the ACC is just running along the, the riverbanks. That's why Syracuse used to be able to be the like eighth ACC team to get into the tournament. Right. And they were tough out. Uh, that's why I said Florida State was six and 10 one year, if my memory serves. And that's why, because the conference was so good. Um, I was about to give a shout out to Jack. Oh yeah. He did say that I'm young 50s to new 30, but I'm not 70, man. Come on. Um, he did make a point though. And Gregory, you were talking about Carolina beating Duke at Duke quote. We could trot out. We being Carolina could trot out the 2009 team and 
they still ain't beating Duke and Cameron on the last game of the season. I don't think that's going to happen. Kirsten, give me a, give me a question or a talking point that you there's gonna see. There's going to be – there's going to be a – sorry, Kirsten. There's going to be a lot of pressure on Duke in that game. I'm, I'm just saying. Well, to that point, it would be nice if somebody for Carolina just came out on fire um, just to see what would happen to the, to watch the pressure ramp up as that game got closer and closer like, and closer. Hoff makes like his first three threes and starts in that game for some crazy reason. You were trying to mess with him. Uh, I'm in. With a, you're in. You're going to be watching that one from the parking lot of Cameron plugging into a generator. Uh, Kirsten, my point that I started to ask is give me a talking point uh, that you've seen from this team over the past two weeks that's relevant starting Saturday with Florida State. Mm. Put you on the spot. He did. That we haven't discussed already. Yeah. Um, man. Um, well, it's not I guess a test, but you got to hurry up. I know, I know. Florida State has lost their last five games. Um, not sure exactly how that's relevant to us, but um, I don't know, man. Um, yeah, Florida State has lost their last – no, I, 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 I'll bail you out. I threw uh-huh. you in, I'll bail you out. <laughs> and you mentioned Florida State. Wow, I didn't realize Florida State lost five straight. And I like yeah. Leonard Hamilton, but injuries are decimated. Let's do this. Who's the team, Who is the team MVP right now on February 10th? Right I'll now? I'll let you go first. Brady Manning. Yep. Brady Manning. Brady Manning. Gregory. Who is it, Gregory? I'd have to go Armando. Um, as much as I would like to choose Brady, mainly because of how Brady play, has played recently, since well, once since Dawson's been gone. He's definitely stepped up, and regardless of being tired. But, I mean, Armando has just put up dummy numbers. He's got, what, 18 double-doubles um, and has still fought through and tried to show some tenacity and things. So, I'm going to go Armando. What do you think, Isaiah? Leaky. Oh, that's a good one. That's valid, too. So, here's the thing. I, I'm <laughs> glad everybody said what they said because as much as we bang on this team, Um, not being the classic North Carolina team that's elite. When you look at what this team has done, uh, they had every reason to fold and just kind of coast after what happened in Miami and Wake Forest. But what we have seen is Leaky Black, Brady Manick, and Armando Baycott, all three step up. And there's no question those three guys give it their all every time they go out there. That doesn't mean they're always flawless by any stretch. But they, they are veteran guys, and they play like it. And I really think those three individuals are a big reason why North Carolina is where it's at. Um, you know, R.J. Davis is another one who really, really tries hard. I don't think effort's an issue with him quite as much, even though he does get overwhelmed at times. Uh, but that, that trio right there is why North Carolina is in the position it is and why I think right now they're trending into the tournament. Uh, and so I, I, think, I think everybody – picked a good person for a good reason and those three guys have really played key roles for north carolina when the all acc teams come out right they they do three correct first second third team honorable mention does leaky make a team no No. Ah, just because he doesn't score enough all defensive team i think he'll make yeah yeah that's fair yeah i I mean some honorable mention votes but it's just like i mean i say that because the acc doesn't have a lot of great star players i think we could probably pick the top five players right now and who are going to be on the first team all icc team pretty easily is um, baycott on it i was going to say it's aj griffin bad caro alondis williams baycott i think yeah, I'm right is that four or five griffin bad caro williams baycott and then i don't even who would be fifth are you talking about for first team all icc yeah yeah no, nah, Griffin's not going to make it. Griffin had yeah. two points the other night. Griffin looked like Kobe against Carolina. I, I, mean, I, I, I guess I think I've watched him play like a handful of games. And he's I mean, I, off yeah, I think, I think Moore is probably more likely to get it uh, from, oh, yes. from Duke's team. Uh, Aluma from Virginia Tech. Tech. Yep. Uh, he always has good metrics. Williams. 
Yep. So from Aluma from Williams, Ben Caro. Well, ben yeah, Alondas is probably going to be player of the year. He should be. Um, Buddy Beheim will, you know, he'll shoot, he'll get red hot into the season and average like 30 in the last two weeks and he'll make, make one of the teams at least. Um, I would wager there'll be a lot of guys on the teams that people don't know who they are, unless you're a hardcore watcher of ACC which, basketball. Which goes back to what we talked about earlier. There have been years where we're like, how in the world is that guy not first team all ACC? And this year's going to be like, who is that on first team all ACC? And that's. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we're at. Someone you want to go asked, look at some nasty teams. Go look at the 95 LACC teams. Anyway, go ahead, Gregory. Someone <laughs> asked if Leakey gets an extra COVID year, and if he does, would he consider coming back? He Is does get an extra COVID year. Yeah, he gets one. Now, whether or not he comes back, that's, that's something that – Based on that, grad school and stuff. Right, and what people have to understand, too, is they, they've got some recruits already signed and coming in, so you've got to make room. Um, and North Carolina is over the limit right now. I don't have that number in front of me, but uh, there's got to be some attrition, even though I think pretty much anybody that wants to come back can. Except for Brady. He couldn't come back, could he? Or could he? No, he's using his COVID year right now. Is he? Okay. Because he just played all four years. He didn't redshirt. He didn't take an injury year or anything like that. And so this is his fifth extra COVID year. Crazy. This COVID stuff has changed the entire – System. So we got Baycott all first team, all ACC. Everybody agree with that? Yes. We got, is you think Wakes Alondis Williams is player of the year? Yes. Right now. He's about to be the like only, like, I think it's first ever ACC player to double digit points and assists. I didn't know that. Right. So if he does, Notre Dame's got to have a first. Say the say the standings end up right there right now. Notre Dame wins the conference. Notre Dame's got to have somebody up there, don't they? Well, Wesley's their most dynamic player, and he's a freshman. He's good too. He is good. He'll be a good pro player. That's Um, interesting. And you know what's interesting about it? The people that vote for this stuff, and I know Greg, you've got a ballot, and Gregory, do you have a ballot? You guys follow it. Most of them are like us. They Um, look at the. That's why Leaky won't get it because they look at the rankings. Yeah, they look at I the mean, stats. I would probably put. Le- I'd probably vote Leaky just based on his impact. So, but, team, uh, Tommy, you, you piqued my interest. Uh, so I went back and looked at the '95 All ACC team. Oh my lord! It's um. This is just the first five. I mean, Bob Sura was second team. How was Sura second team? Um, <laughs> first team was Rasheed Wallace, Tim Duncan, Randolph Childress. Jerry Stackhouse and Joe Smith. And for you youngins, Joe Smith was probably the best player in the league that year for Maryland. Go back Maryland being in the ACC. Go watch. I do too. Go watch Saturday. And and by the way, an aside, the ACC network has its flaws, but the, the thing that they're doing on the ACC tournament, the series they're doing on the ACC tournament is great. Highly recommend folks watch it. Didn't Um, Ives have a big hand in that? Probably. It's fantastic with all the old stuff. I'm still, you know, they still had the first two. But look at um, that 95 team. Go back and find Saturday at the ACC tournament and that 95 tournament. It is unbelievable. Rashid versus Joe Smith. And then Wake Forest versus – who did they play? Duke. No, Duke was terrible that year. I can't remember. But there were like four top ten teams or whatever. One of the greatest Saturdays in ACC tournament. That was pretty awesome. Anyway, anything else, folks? I mean, Carolina, Florida State is a must win. We'll say that. You can't lose at home to Florida State. And then from there on out, they've got to steal an at Virginia Tech or an at Duke, I think, to be there in the NCAA tournament. Funny story. um, I got a text last night at 9.05 friend of mine saying, Hey, I'm going to give you my tickets to the state Carolina game in Raleigh. I was like, well, I'm not paying to go over there. And he said, uh, not a free. I didn't realize that state had played Wake Forest at seven o'clock. And, uh, he was leaving that game as he texted and said, he's done with the Wolfpack. What did Wake Forest win by 20, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, before we get out of here, I'm going to show my age. Uh, Bob Suros. He was the video highlight reel before there were video highlight reels. Uh, he was part of those great early, great 
uh, Florida State teams under Kennedy. But in, in high school, he became famous. Uh, you know, if you could be viral back in 1991, uh, he was viral because he would, he was so good and such an athlete that he would walk up and down the, the court and he would like yell over to uh, the crowd, the fan section, the student section in the crowd and ask them like, what do you want to see? And so they would say like some kind of dunk. And so he would go down with the other team on the court and would go down and do a you know, reverse slam or a 360 or something like that. Uh, the stories about him are legendary, but he was second team all ACC in 1995. He averaged 19 points a game seven rebounds a game, five and a half assists, and two steals. And he was second team on ACC. He would be pretty much unanimous these days. Look at the final standings in that season. Wake, Carolina, Maryland, Virginia all tied at 12 and four. That's the Saturday in the ACC tournament, um, which is still ridiculously amazing. Oh, boy. Get off (laughs) off my lawn. Someone said. 22 ACC. Someone said if he's Hubert, he hires Jeff McInnes. Uh, to what? Is there an opening? I don't know. Why wouldn't Touche go back and coach at Oak Hill since Steve Smith is is uh, retiring? That's right, there. yeah. I don't know. Who knows who Touche is? Oh, my God. Folks, you, y'all you are listening to, to an amazing but Who said – as long as me, Jerry, and Touche are here, we ain't never leaving, losing over there. Who said that? Greg, you know that. Yeah. Rasheed Wallace that said that. That's like some sheet was saying. Bought on lie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they could have yelled that the other night. Anyway, I got nothing. Gregory, you got anything else? Someone had asked what Leaky's shooting stats were in this last six-game stretch, and he's shooting 67% from the floor and 54% from three with three double digit games in that span his only three double digit games of the season. Um, and he's not, he, the most attempts he's had against was Clemson and he had seven. So it's not like he's doing too much. He's doing what he needs to do. And I know leaky gets a lot of flack, but there's no reason to put any flack on leaky. And this last, what is that? Six games, two and a half weeks. And, and I will say the, the way that he's playing offensive late, the confidence, you can just see it, and it's showing itself on the defensive end because he has just been phenomenal defensively of late. It's like – because that's how – I mean, that's really how it worked with these kids. And we didn't mention it earlier with Caleb. Um, obviously, the early shots and Justin Jackson on the Up in the Rafters podcast talked about it, the early shots mattering. But also, if like if Caleb's defense is poor, it's because his offense is poor. It just – it coincides. It's out of it. He just doesn't – he just gets out of it, and that's when the lazy fouls happen. It's like James Harden almost. Like you look at James Harden, he rarely plays defense, but it's just like he just like doesn't care. Um, And I don't know if that's necessarily Caleb not caring as much as him just focusing so much on why are my shots falling that he forgets almost to play defense. So that's also something we didn't mention, and that can be a closing point. Yeah, somebody in the chat asked that I see Stack and McInnes in the state finals. Um for Kinston, I saw Oak Hill play at Hillside on Central's campus that season. Oak Hill had Stackhouse, McKinnis, Maktar Jai, and a couple other dudes, and they played Hillside back when Hillside was good. You're talking about a gym that rocked. Central's gym was on fire then. That's the kind of talent that was rolling into Chapel Hill there. Um, different age, but I – Credit Leaky Black, you guys have talked about him. I think he – we can't talk about him enough. We certainly talked about him plenty when he wasn't playing well, but he's been a – to Isaiah's point, he's been an MVP-type person for this Carolina team. I'm going to get us out of here. It's well, a little after nine. Uh-oh. You cut me off again? I'm yes. Um, since we won't talk until after this, but um, how do we think Cole Anthony does in the dunk contest? I mean, he can dunk. Do we I think, think he, he wins it? Do we think he gets to like the Who's finals? He going up against. Yeah, who are the rest of the thing? Uh, I quit watching the dunk contest after Jordan retired. Uh, Jordan although I really wanted Cam Johnson in the three point contest, but that's it's not Jalen Green, Obi Toppin, Cole, and then Juan Toscano from Golden State. I don't think he wins it. I think Obi wins it. I think it's going to be him and Obi in the finals. Really? Yeah. Well, check it out. Must watch TV, huh? 
Oh yeah. Cam, Cam Johnson or Justin Jackson? Did Justin answer that question? Did Vip ask him that question? I haven't listened to their he, podcast. He yet. did. He asked him. He asked uh, Justin if it was three point contest. Cam, him, um, Hubert, Marcus, and Wayne, I don't remember. Oh, and Wayne Ellington. And Justin gave it to Cam. Um, I'd probably give it to Cam as well. Interesting. Right? I don't know. Wayne Ellington could shoot it. Yeah, I think Wayne or Hubert, honestly. They, I think they had sm- smoother shots, for sure, both oh, of yeah. them. Cam yeah, is I guess a, Cam might be some recency bias. I was going to say it's recency bias, and somebody also mentioned Rodney Rogers, T-top. In the I mean, didn't Wayne team. moving up the three-point made basket list in the NBA pretty quickly? Probably. I mean, it's all he does. I don't keep up with it enough. It, yeah. It's uh, I watched probably playoffs. written his contract, do not attempt a shot inside the yard. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn Rice, yeah. Anyway, guys, it's been fun. Kirsten, Isaiah, Gregory, and Greg, appreciate you joining. We've got Inside Carolina Live on Saturday, uh, 10 to 12 noon, live on the YouTube stream and also live on WCHL, Carolina, Florida State at 2 o'clock after that. And then, of course, the Inside Carolina Podcast Week cranks up again starting with the coast to coast uh, post-game podcast, maybe after Florida state, I'll be at the game. So I will not be doing it. It's always been fun folks. Johnny t-shirt sponsored rate, review, subscribe, like whatever else. Tell your friends, get likes for Gregory on YouTube. Thanks fellas. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo. And they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.